But some other cool bee facts, they can recognize human faces, which is cool. So they kind of know who I am. <laughs> um, like one bee makes seven drops of honey in her entire life. So she lives about 42 days and she only makes seven little droplets of honey. The one beehive has like 50,000 bees and they're all working to survive and they make honey and they can make like 200 pounds of honey. So they can make a lot of honey. The queen bee lives longer. She lives like two to seven years. She can lay her own body weight in eggs every day. So she can lay like 3000 eggs a day. They can fly up to three miles, actually up to like six miles and around their hive. They do have males, but there aren't, it's only like 10 to like 30% males. Most of them are females and the males are only around in the spring and summer usually because they're kind of like a luxury item. They don't do that much work in the hive or really they don't do any work. They just kind of hang out and eat honey and then they try to mate with a queen, not their queen because she's their mother, but they would leave the hive and try to mate with a queen from another colony. If they do succeed in mating with a queen, they actually die during that mating process. And that's also pretty brutal because their like genitals explode and detach from their bodies. That is the best bee fact I've ever heard. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> yep. Welcome to today's episode of Money Self Made, a show where I interview remarkable people and they share tips tactics and inspiration to inspire you to lead a healthier, wealthier life. And I couldn't be more excited to introduce today's guest, Hilary Kearney, founder of Girl Next Door Honey and author of the book Queen Spotting. Not only does Hillary run a beekeeping business that offers educational opportunities to hundreds of soon-to-be beekeepers each year, she has also been the subject of features in Huffington Post, Vogue, and many more outlets. And she rescues wild bee colonies. So she manages around 60 hives in the San Diego area. And that's what we talk about today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before we get started, please remember to smash that like button. And more importantly, please click subscribe wherever you're listening, whether it's Spotify or iTunes. Thank you so much. Without further ado, please help me introduce Girl Next Door Honey. What you've done with Girl Next Door Honey is super exciting and impressive. So I, I know all about you, but for people at home who might not have the same background, do you want to give your story in like three to five minutes or less? So I was studying art and I just wanted to do something creative and in college. And I just kind of stumbled upon a beekeeping book that just grabbed my attention for whatever reason. I just got sucked into how bees live and I just thought they were so interesting. So I kind of came at it from like an academic angle and I was like writing some papers on bees and then I just I kept reading about them. And then when I moved back to my hometown of San Diego, I was just like, it was during the recession and no one could get a job and especially not like a creative job. So I was just kind of like miserable and trying to do something like to keep me happy while I was at this office job that I hated. <laughs> and so I just kind of like latched on to bees and started doing beekeeping and people started hearing that I was a beekeeper and they would ask me to do things. They would be like, can you come rescue this swarm of bees in my yard? Can you come teach my kids classroom? Can you be on the news? Can you, you know, can you teach a beekeeping class to our garden group? And 
it just kind of like organically spiraled into a business. So like each one of those requests became like something that is now like a revenue stream in my business. And so I just kind of like kept adding more and more things. And now I have this like kind of crazy multi-headed <laughs> business where I do a lot of different things, but it's been good. I mean, it was like a good lesson, especially during the pandemic because I had to shut down like all my events but I was okay because I still had an online shop and I still had like phone mentoring and I still had like, you know, digital presentations and I managed to be all right. And I still had bee removals that was still happening. Yeah. So it was just like a very organic thing and it's always changing and evolving still. So it's, I think a lot of businesses are like that, but it, it is like kind of special that it just happened without like a lot of planning. <laughs> I remember that's what really resonated with me because I loved the story that you went and pursued this passion and it turned into a business. And I think it's really smart that you didn't follow someone else's path in terms of there's a lot of like get rich quick business schemes out there and that kind of thing, but you stuck with what was true to you. And I think that's why you've been able to build such a sustainable business. So it's extremely cool to me. I love that. And I should just like quickly give an overview of your services for our audiences. So, and like, these are just the ones I'm aware of, but I know you do live bee removal, you do classes, you sell swag. So you've got like an online uh, store. I think as far as I know, um, public speaking as well. Am I covering everything? What else do you offer? Yeah, bee removal, cl beekeeping classes, and then I do tours. So people who aren't necessarily beekeepers, but just want to have a fun experience, suit up and go in the beehive with me. Mentoring, like one-on-one -on -one mentoring. And then I also do management of, of colonies. So like, if you don't want to be involved at all, but you just want the bees on your property and you want to pay a beekeeper to do it for you, I do that. And then, yeah, the online shop has like swag. And then it also has like things that I've made to help other beekeepers teach like teaching posters and educational games there's like an inspection notebook like if you want to like take notes on your hives and how they're doing just random stuff like that as well as like basic swag things and I can't resist but like totally dive into some fun bee facts like what are some cool things about bees just because I'm curious and how do you know if they're cranky or happy yeah <laughs> so each colony has its own like personality and that can change and they can have good days and bad so some there's some environmental factors that would like cause them to be grumpy so actually bees can get like hangry like at the end of summer when all the flowers are drying up and there's no nectar available to them they get really hangry and grumpy and you you go to check them and they're just like they buzz you really intensely and they try to sting you and they're like not happy and they will actually like try to rob each other to steal each other's honey and they just get all wound up they can also be like grumpy if their queen died or if they're sick if there's something wrong with them and then they're also just like genetically docile or more defensive so like just like you know how like dog breeds have certain qualities and like behavioral qualities that it's like a tendency in those breeds it's kind of the same thing with bees there's like different breeds of bees and some of them 
are more defensive. Like some of them are better at making honey and like, but it's not like a perfect science. Like it's not like, oh, every Labrador does this, you know, it's like a very, it's like a general thing. So it's very changeable and it's not that predictable, I guess is what I'm saying. So here in, in San Diego, we have Africanized bees. So we have bees that have genes from bees that came from Africa and they tend to be more defensive. None of them are like purebred anymore. They're all like hybrid, but that behavioral gene is floating around. So we just have to be careful. Like sometimes we get bees and they're very, very defensive especially doing like the rescues, the wild rescues. But some other cool bee facts, they can recognize human faces, which is cool. So they kind of know who I am. <laughs> um, like one bee makes seven drops of honey in her entire life. So she lives about 42 days and she only makes seven little droplets of honey. The one beehive has like 50,000 bees and they're all working to survive and they make honey and they can make like 200 pounds of honey so they can make a lot of honey the queen bee lives longer she lives like two to seven years she can lay her own body weight in eggs every day so she can lay like 3,000 eggs a day they can fly up to three miles actually up to like six miles and around their hive which is nuts most of the bees in the hive are female bees also that's so interesting. Just like the queen bee stuff made me think that there was like one lady and she had thousands of male slaves, but like. They <laughs> <laughs> do have males, but there aren't, it's only like 10 to like 30% males. Most of them are females and the males are only around in the spring and summer usually because they're kind of like a luxury item. They don't do that much work in the hive or really they don't do any work. They just kind of hang out and eat honey and then they try to mate with a queen, not their queen, because she's their mother, but they would leave the hive and try to mate with a queen from another colony. And that's like their one job. So when mating season is over, they're just like not that useful. So the other bees will actually kick them out of the <laughs> They'll kick them out of the hive and they like starve outside of the hive. It's pretty brutal, actually. If they do succeed in mating with a queen, they actually die during that mating process. And that's also pretty brutal because their like genitals explode and detach from their bodies. That is the best bee fact I've ever heard. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Wow. I'm really glad I asked about fun bee facts. That's pretty epic. Well, I guess my new life goal is to be a queen bee. She sounds pretty rad in my book. And speaking of which, you wrote a book called Queen's Body. And is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. It came out, thanks. It came out in like 2019. And it's all about the life of the queen bee. So if you want to learn even more juicy details about the queen and how she, the things that she does, there, there are more. It also has like this fun game element to it because there's this, it's named after like a game that I play on my social media and now a lot of beekeepers do it. But basically you just put up an image, like a Where's Waldo type image of a lot of bees and then people have to find the queen. So there's like 48 fold out pages of this. So kids really like it too. It's not a kid's book, but it's fun to read with kids and try and find the queen. Fun. I love it. I'm actually, I'm going to buy that book for some of my little cousins. Is the queen's body and child friendly or is there lots of like explosions? The photos themselves are fine. You know, like the text has some of like the gory details, but it's like, it's a fun 
science, you know, story, but yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not written for kids in terms of like the level of reading. So it would probably be like maybe an older kid or like adults would enjoy reading it or reading it with a kid. But definitely the there's so many fold out pages that and there's so many photos and of these like close ups just interesting photos that kids really love it. I've gotten a lot of good feedback from parents. Very cool. I'm on it. I also need to buy it for myself to learn all about this because I'm very excited. Did you go through a traditional publisher versus self publishing for your book. Yeah, um, it's with a story publishing. When I first had the idea, I thought about self-publishing, but it's just like a lot of work because then you have to do everything yourself, obviously, including like all the marketing. I mean, you have to like write the book, design the book. I mean, you can hire out people to do like each part, but then that becomes very expensive. And then you have to pay to have it printed. And because if you're just like, self-published author you're going to do a smaller print run probably and then your book becomes more expensive like per book to make so it's like it's very costly and it's very time consuming you also just will never get the reach that you get with a traditional publisher so I get that it's like harder to go with a traditional publisher but I think a lot of people now just look at that opportunity to self-publish and go for it because they can and it's so accessible, but I still think that it's definitely worth it to have a traditional publisher. And my thinking was like, I already have an audience that I am reaching and I can reach them with this book and that's great. But if I want to go beyond my audience and get reach other people, then I have to, like having a traditional publisher makes sense because they're going to get me outside of that that bubble that I'm in so that's kind of like my main that was my main motivation for wanting to go with a traditional publisher I think that's smart I've done the self-publishing thing it's a total grind and I think there's something to be said for both like for me it was a side hustle and I just wanted like you know to share an idea and get some royalty checks and keep it low-key but I honestly want to go with a traditional publisher route should I ever take on something that feels more serious to me yeah I mean it probably depends on the project like if you're doing something that you don't think has reached beyond your existing bubble or like your existing audience and you're just wanting to reach them then it totally makes sense to self-publish because definitely you know you don't get rich going with a traditional publisher either you know you're not making a ton of money unless you're like Stephen King (laughs) but yeah I mean it's there's pros and cons for sure 100% I think it's great how did you find your publisher did you write a book proposal or did you write the whole book and then chop it around I had written most of the book and I had taken some example photos but I didn't have all of them what I did is I went to bookstores and I started looking in the sections that I thought were relevant like the craft garden homesteading farm animal sections in the bookstore and I started looking for books that I liked the design of and that were in that realm and I started writing down the names of publishers of the books that I thought were like well designed and that was how I found my publisher so I had like a whole list and then I and then I had it you know I had this on my to-do list of like make this book happen and I had like given myself a goal of like do this by the end of I think it was 2016 I was like do this by the end of 2016 and that came and went and it was like February of 2017 and I was like 
I'm going to do this now. Like, I'm just going to get this out there. So I just started like, I went through my list. Some of them are really easy to apply to. Like you can do it all online. And other ones are like, you need to make this whole paper packet and like snail mail it in. And they want like, all of them want like a million things. Like they want you to write your book proposal. And that has to include like your cover letter and your synopsis and your, and your market research and like all this, like you really have to sell the book to them and, and prove that like you have an audience and you have that people will want this book (laughs) because that's all they care about is like, can we sell this? So anyway, I did that. And then I found the easier publishers to submit to. There was like three on my list where you could do it online. And I I had always planned to like submit to all of them, but I was like, I'll just get these out, you know? And I, I sent them out and it was kind of nuts because my editor from Story got back to me one week later, which was like way earlier than I expected to hear back from anyone. So I had only applied to like three publishers And months later, I got rejections from the other two, (laughs) but she got back to me like immediately. And it was, it turns out that she was a beekeeper at some point. So she understood like how good this book was going to be and that beekeepers would absolutely love it. So that was just like sheer luck that I connected with her and she just got it. She just like got the idea. And I think that's so much of what publishing is, is like, You just have to find the right person who like gets what you're trying to do and is excited about it. I just super lucked out and found her like immediately. Um, But I do think that strategy of like going to the bookstores and looking at the physical books, writing down the names of publishers really was a good process to start the whole thing off. That is really smart and really clever. I've never heard anyone tell a story like that. So that gives me a sneak peek inside your brain and how you've been able to be so successful for sure. And then in terms of like the marketing and rollout, was that a lot of work as well? I know I've heard that publishers kind of like leave you to do the marketing. My publisher was better than like some things I've heard about other publishers. So I think it's just very dependent on who your publisher is. And also I think like how much energy they want to put into your book. So I think that when they make you an offer on your book, they set like a budget for that book. And like the more excited they are about your book, like the more money you get and then the more they're willing to spend on marketing and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm just guessing, I think that's how it works. You know, these are the things you're not exactly privy to as the author. I think that they were better than some because I I had a publicist assigned to me that I could, you know, she had me fill out like a lot of info. Like I gave her a list of like social media influencers that I thought might be interested in the book. And she had me reach out to some of those personally, other authors that we thought might, you know, give quotes or review quotes or whatever. So I definitely did a like a good amount of legwork, but they also did a lot of legwork too. Like they set up a, a book tour and they set up some speaking events and they flew me around for various things. So yeah. That is so cool. Congratulations. I love that. Yeah. Speaking of social media, I mean, your presence is really insane in terms of your following and all of that. And I saw, I follow you on Instagram. I saw that there was like a fake feud between you and another beekeeper. And I, I didn't realize that there was like beekeeper drama in the press. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, um, there's another 
beekeeper in Texas. Her name's Erica Thompson and she's has a business similar to mine. I don't think she does like everything that I do, but she does bee rescues for sure. And then she also manages hives on other people's properties. And so I had been following her on social media for several years. Like we had chatted on social media before and um, she did not have like a large following until super recently. She had like just kind of like a base level following. And then she just kind of exploded on TikTok. Now she has like millions of TikTok followers, like 500,000 followers on Instagram or something. So she just kind of blew up and she was on Ellen and all like the Today Show and all this all you know because she went viral so then all these like media outlets are covering her and so she was really like this darling in the media for like a month or something a couple months (laughs) and then all of a sudden they just like turned on her because some other beekeeper on TikTok made some videos like criticizing her the way that she was criticizing her was just like really ridiculous and if you were like an actual journalist and did your research you would know that this woman's just kind of being a hater and that it's like but for whatever reason the media just like was like a dog with a bone and just like took this woman's videos and just like blew them up even bigger and then was reporting on it like all this juicy like drama between beekeepers on tiktok and then i got sucked into it because they they know that i have a following and i'm a beekeeper and so they were like wanting me to make comment on the drama and like basically wanted to interview me to find out if this woman erica is legit or not and if this other woman's criticisms of her are legit or not yeah it was just stupid i I defended Erica because I like, I believe that she is a strong woman who knows what she's doing. And like, she doesn't need people watching her curated videos, telling her like how to do her job. And it just like very much upsets me (laughs) that that's happening. So I tried to like give an interview defending her and then the New York Post like took one of my quotes and just like reframed it in their article and made it sound like I was criticizing her and that's really pissed me off because I feel like basically the media was just trying to make like super salacious clickbait that is like very much sexist based like ooh cat fight on social media between beekeepers and just really exaggerating like there was controversy that was real but it's it was just like really overblown. I don't think it should have been reported on. <laughs> I totally hear what you're saying on that. I find it frustrating as well. It's funny because that is what gets clicks is the controversy and then they'll kick up controversy. And I see that all the time on social media, like people who are successful being torn down by some haters because the haters know that if they tear this person down, then they'll come up in the search results for that person. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's I think it's terrible. However, I also know some people because I work in media who just roll with it and purposefully create fake feuds, like team up with someone else in this case beekeeping and they're like, let's have a fake feud for a while and we'll get 500,000 followers out of it. Like Mike and I were in the Wall Street bets like GameStop extravaganza and we're watching how the press is reporting on it and we were like that is so off that's not even at all what we're experiencing so I definitely know the feeling yeah I know from working with media before that it's like not uncommon for them to like totally misrepresent something and I've definitely had them get like quotes wrong and stuff like that before but nothing to this level of like deceit so it was very frustrating (laughs) 
Well, that is really cool that you didn't like take the bait and you stood up for her and were like strong ladies together. I really respect that. Thank you for all womankind. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I have to say like you, I feel like have an equally impressive following and presence. And I remember you were mentioned in Vogue. That was very cool. You're a Vogue fashion forward beekeeper. How did that come about? That was just very random. I do not know how that happened. I just got an email from an editor at Vogue and said they wanted to feature me. And I was like, yes. (laughs) yes I want to be in Vogue I wasn't in the actual like print magazine I was featured like on the website and it wasn't like fashion related but it was just like a cool story about like what I do in my bees and stuff that is so cool okay like I don't know who reads paper magazines I personally don't so being on the online version is probably even cooler in my humble opinion so just out of nowhere you got this I think that means you're on the right path the universe is like here you're doing the right thing keep going this way yeah yeah that was like definitely cool and I think that it was probably because of that feature that another publisher reached out to me to do what ended up being my second book so I think when things are going they just go and sometimes things just happen all at once and just rolls and sometimes you just have like a dry spell where nothing's happening (laughs) And I feel like I'm in a dry spell now. I'm just like, wow, everyone's probably in a dry spell. So That's true. We're all just kind of coming out of quarantine, I think. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I hear you. I think that that's what a lot of people struggle with when they decide to be self-employed and a lot of reasons why people go back because our generation was kind of forced into self-employment, I think during the recession. But when you got started, how long did it take you to feel like you were actually in a profitable business versus kind of like a hobby or a passion? Like, how do you keep your mental focus when things are kind of slow? Because that's every business is like, has those ebbs and flows. Because I grew slowly, I was able, I stayed at my office job for like two years and was running this business on the side. And then I had like committed to like, okay, I'm going to quit at the end of this month. And actually I got let go (laughs) at the beginning of the month, but then they gave me um, severance pay for a month. So it was like, yes, because then I had like that month of just security to kind of go like, okay, what do I, what's my game plan? It was super stressful, but it was also like really, you know, I was just like at my wits end with my like unhappiness that I was finally like it just forced me like I got to try this everyone around me was basically saying I don't see how you could do this business full-time like nobody was like you can do this except for maybe Tim everybody else was just like I don't know how this could be anything so I just you know I just once I quit my office job and just start like took that leap I realized that like I had been saying no to all these opportunities and that they were there the whole time but I didn't have time to do them and so sometimes you just have to take that leap of faith and wait and see what happens and just like keep so I feel like for like two years after that I was just like saying yes to everything and then I realized like okay this is too much like I can't say yes to everything so it's just like a process where like you make that leap of faith, you you work way too hard, then you learn, okay, I need to be more strategic. <laughs> and I think like the biggest thing that people don't do that they should be doing is categorizing your revenue by like where it's coming from and keeping track of like each 
thing and seeing where is the money coming from and like, where is the money not coming from so that then you, you know, a year later, two years later, you can reflect on that monetary, like statistics and go, okay, does it even make sense for me to keep putting time into this part of my business when this other part of my business is making, you know, three times as much or whatever. So for me, that is, was my process of like, you know, each year I would like reflect on like where the money came from and try to look at the trends of like what is actually profitable and what is just like a time suck. Because then I would also consider like, okay, this makes a lot of money, but it takes a lot of time. And do I like doing it? You know, do I enjoy doing this? So I kind of made, you know, one of my first shifts in my business was I was doing this host a hive program where I would place bees that belong to me and I, I assumed all the liability and the cost for those bees and I would put them on someone else's property and they would pay me like a nominal fee for the year and then they would get a cut of the honey. And so I was driving all over town, assuming all the liability for those bees. And that means like if they got sick, I'm liable, like I have to replace them. If the equipment's damaged, I have to replace that. And I'm investing all the money, like the cost of the equipment and the setup. And then like what I was getting per year, like wasn't even covering that, like just barely. And so not to mention like the time that I was putting into like driving all over the place, checking on these bees in all these different locations. So then I really, and people would do this thing where they would say like they wanted it and I would do all this work to set it up. And then they would go, oh, we changed our mind or like, oh, we're moving. And they weren't invested in it. They weren't invested in having those bees because they didn't pay that much money for it. So. I kind of realized like I need to make people own their own bees and pay for all the equipment themselves and like take that liability and cost off of myself. And just basically I'm a consultant that you hire and you pay for my time to come just check the bees that belong to you. And that way, if they decide to move or if they want to get out of it, I'm not responsible for figuring out where do I bring these bees? Like I have nowhere to bring them because that's what kept happening to me. People would be like, oh, we don't want them anymore. Oh, we sold our house. We need you to move the bees by next week. And I, I would literally have nowhere to bring them. I wouldn't have enough room in other places because I hadn't had proper time to plan for this. So like just shifting to like smarter things that make more sense for like taking the weight off of you and making things more like now I'm getting paid like for my time versus just like this big monster of a beast like we don't even know how much time is going to go into it you know like so yeah that was like a big change for me and then the other thing I did is I realized that even though I love doing removals and rescues they are just they are time consuming and they are exhausting and then I have to have those bees that and take care of them for the rest of their lives so it's like a very it's something I still like to do but I'm very picky about it now if I don't want to do it I just refer someone else and I set up something with another beekeeper where when I refer someone to him he gives me a cut so I don't even feel like I'm throwing money away because if he gets the job, then I get a percentage. So like just things like that, like smart, smart, smarter things. 
that it just takes time to figure those things out and you have to do the wrong thing first sometimes. It comes down to looking at the money and where it's coming from and then reflecting on your time and the things you like to do and and carving. You're really just sculpting, you know, a business out of, you start with a hunk of clay and then you just make it, you make your little indents and you you kind of figure it out. And it just takes years to get there. <laughs> that is some of the most beautiful business advice I've ever heard. Like spoken <laughs> like a true business owner. Absolutely. I, I feel like that's the best advice as well, because then you'll wind up with something that you love doing. And I always advise people to start with a need instead of like a product or a business idea, because the world moves so fast. If you're solving a general need, like be health versus, you know, I invented a new toothbrush. If you're solving dental health, then you can pivot accordingly. Um, and if you get sick of one thing, you can go to like another element. So that makes sense. Yeah. And you can always start with a need and then develop a product based on that need. You know, once you've got experience in the need, you know, so it's like, you could be like, for me, I'm doing beekeeping classes. And I saw that people needed a way to organize the way that they were inspecting their hives. So I designed a notebook and this notebook only costs like $12, but I sell a lot of them <laughs> and they're very popular. So like something like that could happen, you know? That is so cool. So like, what is the benefit of bees to the average person? Like, why should I maybe have a bee or hire someone to help me set up a beehive? I don't think it's for everyone. And it's like, certainly you have to have land and like, you have to be into it. And there are annoyances that can happen from the fact that you have a hive. So you have to make sacrifices to, in order to have the bees. It's not just like an easy thing, like setting up a birdhouse, but like the main reason people want it is they, they think it's cool or they want the honey or they want the pollination. So like when you have an orchard or a, a vegetable garden, if you, or like a large fruit tree, like a lot of people have avocado trees here, avocado trees, you know, you could get a lot of avocados, but it all has to be pollinated. And if you don't have enough bees nearby, then you won't get pollinated. You won't get as much fruit. And, and so avocado trees, especially the flowers are not that attractive to bees unless they're very close. So like out of convenience, they'll go to them because it's right there. So if you have like avocado trees in your backyard and you're not getting that many avocados, if you put a beehive back there, you will get way more than you did because they're all the bees are just like so close that they're like oh we may as well pollinate this so yeah the main I think the main reason is like if you're growing your own food or some people just think it's really cool and they just like want to be around bees it's like an eco chic thing it's having a moment right now <laughs> I love the word eco chic <laughs> no I mean it is that because I've heard like the potential extinction of bees would be certain demise for the rest of us. Is that true or is that a myth? Well, I don't think the bees are endangered. Like honeybees, they have beekeepers that are taking care of them. So it's not that they're not in trouble. Like honeybees are dying at an alarming rate. And that is true, but their populations aren't crashing because beekeepers are keeping them alive. And if they lose a colony, they make a new colony to replace that colony. So it's kind of like, there is a problem because the death rate is high, but it's not 
having the negative results of no bees because because of beekeepers. So beekeepers are having to work extra hard to keep their bees alive. But what is very concerning is other species of bees. So there's like 4,000 species of bees in North America and honeybees are actually native to Europe. So they've been imported and they've been here since the 1600s and, and they're in every part of the world except for Antarctica at this point, basically. So they're pretty much everywhere and they are responsible for a large swath of the pollination that happens. But these other species of bees are also super important and they specialize in pollinating like certain kinds of plants. So, you know, in our ecosystem, we have a lot of plants that are like, only a certain kind of pollinator can pollinate it. And so if we start to lose these bees that are specialized in pollinating those kinds of plants, then we start to lose those plants because they have no way of reproducing and they have no way of making seeds because when the bee visits a flower, it pollinates it and it turns into seeds. So basically bees and other pollinators are helping to make more plants to help reproduce. And so when we start to lose these specialized pollinators, we start to lose those plants and we lose all the species that depend on those plants, like going up the whole food chain. So it's like a very big impact ecologically when we start to lose species of bees. We're not going to lose honeybees, but we are currently probably losing an untold number of native species. And we don't even know because there's no money put into it and it's not being studied very well. And it's very alarming because the same things that are impacting the honeybees are also impacting these other bees and they're just less able to survive because they don't have help and also because they're um, solitary. So they don't have a hive and they don't make honey. They're like other creatures where they just like find a mate, have a nest, have their babies, and that's it. So it's like in a honeybee hive, if they get into contact with poison, there's thousands of bees. And so like half the colony could be poisoned and it's possible that the other half of the colony could recover and survive and keep going. But when a native bee mama gets poisoned, then there's no other bees to take care of her babies and then they could just die. So it's harder for these bees to survive than honeybees for multiple reasons. And so I, I tried to like bring awareness to that on my social media and also like with my clients, there are, I said earlier, like having a honeybee hive is not like having a birdhouse and it's difficult and you have to have land and you have to have like all these things, but there are actually these cool little native bee houses that you can set up that is like having a birdhouse. It's very little work. You don't have to have a yard. You can put it on your balcony. You could just like hang it on the wall of your apartment building. It's small and it's just like a block of wood that has like little holes drilled in it. Or sometimes it, it's like bamboo reeds with like, basically they just need little hollow tubes that they can um, nest in. And a lot of, a lot of the native bees actually live underground, but there's a whole bunch of them that live in these little, they just want a little tube to nest in like leaf cutter bees and uh, mason bees are the biggest ones that use those. So I do encourage everyone to get those. <laughs> I love it. Where can I get those? There's a lot of different kinds and they're not all great designs. A lot of people encourage you to make your own because then you can be sure that the wood hasn't been treated with chemicals and all that. But I've been referring people to a local company called Solo Bee. I don't know her website. I think it might be solobee.com. But if you just Google Solobee San Diego, you would probably find her website and she ships and they've been certified by scientists to be appropriately made. So I would recommend her or going to um, the Xerces Society's website and they have guides on how to make your own. So 
Xerces Society is spelled like X-E-R-C-E-S. <laughs> so it's like a weird type of butterfly. <laughs> anyway, that is, maybe you can put that link somewhere. They're a great organization that, and they are all about conservation of invertebrates. So. so like what piqued your curiosity? You're clearly very passionate and knowledgeable about this topic. What is it that you love about working with bees? What drives you? What's your why? I just think that it's super interesting, but I also think that it's like really magical and like being connected to, it just like connects me to nature and like a really special way. And you never, you don't fully understand everything and there's still mysteries. And I just love that, you know, there's all these possibilities that like, I don't fully understand. And I get to interact with that and try and figure it out and think about it and have a lot of cool stories. And every day is like an adventure. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I could have something on my calendar and like something else happens and I go on this totally other adventure, you know? So I love that. Like every day is different and the bees, I just feel like the bees are always like teaching me something. That's one of my favorite things about being self-employed when I am self-employed is like the magical places your day can take you instead of just like the same repetition every single day. So I can see that. I'm sure it's even more so when you've got bees around. That sounds (laughs) exciting. Yeah. Very cool. I love it. What is next for Girl Next Door, honey? I really want to get land. That, that's like the dream. I don't know if I'll be able to afford that. So like right now I'm thinking like maybe I should get investors and maybe I should get land. And I'm like, I'm always at that crossroads of like, maybe I should take that other leap. But what I would love to do is have land so that I can have like a bee sanctuary that is mine and I'm in control of it. Cause I've had situations where I had bees on other people's land and we tried to do, you know, what I wanted to do, but eventually like they move or they go out of business or something happens and I can't have my bees there anymore and I get kicked out. And then all this work and time and investment that I put into that space is lost. And so I just really hate that. I don't, feel great about trying to do that again. So I would love to have my own land so that I know I'm not going to get kicked out like a place where a central place where I could have like a physical shop that people can visit and also where I can do my tours and I can do all my classes there. I'm not kind of like hopping around all these different locations, which is what I'm doing now. Also host like overnight, like longer, like more in-depth events. Like I once went to Nebraska to hang out with this beekeeper who was hosting like a bee camp. And so all these beekeepers came from all over the country and stayed with him on his land. And we, we stayed in like teepees and we just did like beekeeping stuff. And the whole time I was there, I couldn't stop thinking about how I would run it if it were mine. I would love to be able to host like some kind of retreat or like beekeeping camp or like more in-depth experiences, like a place to bring like maybe corporate people want to have an experience or whatever. So that there's so many possibilities. Like once I, if I had the land, like I could just keep leveling up and adding, adding, adding. How have you been able to survive and thrive compared to those other businesses that have gone out? Do you have any like secret sauce or do you credit just sort of your savviness? I think, I mean, I really think that it was that I, I went slow and I, I was very careful not to have any overhead that I was like always very avoidant of anything that would be a cost that was like hanging over my head, literally. (laughs) And whereas other businesses just like went in and immediately started dumping money into these ideas with investors that they're like beholden to now and without like taking the time to figure out like what's working, what's not working. So I think 
growing slow and steady in that respect. I do think you get to a certain point where you have to be brave and probably take like more risks and I should do that, I think. <laughs> but I, I also like, I think there's something to be said for like being more cautious about it. And, you know, when you grow slowly and you kind of explore different revenue streams, you get to feel out the market and what is actually, what is actually like something that is needed and popular versus like just something that you thought might be, you know? So that's been to get that to, when you go slow, you have years of that feedback of like, okay, this is really popular. I should do more things like this versus like, okay, I dumped all this money into this thing that actually isn't as popular as these other things I've been doing. So I think that's part of it. Very cool. Do you have a favorite activity that you work on in your business in terms of all of the various revenue streams? Do you have those that either you love doing the most or you found the most profitable? Kind of. I mean, I really love that I have, like, I can choose different ones from day to day, like depending on my mood, because I'm I'm like a Gemini and I have too many personalities going on. So it's like, you know, some days... I'm like, I don't want to leave my house and I'm, I want to like just stay home and like photograph bees in my garden and like work on something creative, like drawing, or maybe I want to write, or, you know, maybe I'm in a mood where I'm like, I need to redo my website or something, you know, like kind of inward. And then other days I'm like, just so happy to get out of the house and like go on a bee adventure. And it does happen. Like when you do too many bee removals, it's really tiring and it, you can get burnt out like super easily. And I do get, I love doing kids classes, but I get burnt out on those, <laughs> you know, like doing tours and being on all the time with people, you can just get burnt out. So I like being able to like switch it up and have that option of like metering. You know, one thing that was happening to me before was that I didn't have any help. So I was doing everything. And if something became really popular, it would be like overwhelm me. And now it's really nice because I have someone helping me and I can kind of delegate things to him. I'll tell you what I hate answering emails. I really hate answering emails. And I have like an insane amount of emails, like an insane amount. And it's really hard to train someone to do my emails because a lot of them are beekeeping questions which is like only I or another beekeeper could answer now I'm at the point with the woman who does my emails for me like she can do almost she can do a, a large majority of them but it took us like three years to get here and so it's like we're at the point where it's like yes this is finally useful so that's one of the things about having like a weird niche business with like a lot of knowledge needed that it makes it hard to get help. And I think that every business person, you know, entrepreneur or whatever, just wants to be able to clone themselves and, and really struggles with like that delegating thing. But I was kind of forced into it because when I got pregnant, I there was like things that I couldn't do at a certain point in my pregnancy. I was like physically unable to do a lot of things. And then after I had the baby, I had to take like a hard step back. So I think that's been good for me because I was like, I was overworking myself and now I can see that now that I'm out of it. And when you remove yourself and like pull back, then you can 
kind of see your business more clearly and get more strategic about like where you want to go next. But when you're just like head down in it, it's very hard to make those choices and to like even see anything because <laughs> you're just like working, working, working. I hear you 100%. Delegation is such a pain point for myself as well. Have you tried an FAQs page? Do you have an FAQs page on your website that didn't like suffice? You can't just send that link. No. Uh, shucks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some of the FAQs, I mean, I like to think that it must head off some people, but most people don't even look at the website. Like I get an, for some reason, I get emails all the time. Where are you located? It says on like every page that I'm in San Diego, including the like contact us page, it says I have no physical address for like a mobile business. And I still get that question like once a week. And so I kind of think like, just like no matter how good your website is, <laughs> there's still people who aren't going to read your website and they're going to send you an email or call you. So absolutely. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the worst. I get it. Customer service is such a thing as well, but it sounds like you're wrangling it, which is really cool. And like, speaking of which, congratulations on having a baby. That's so exciting. <laughs> um, you were already like, so revered in my mind and now you're a small business owner and a mom at the same time which means you're truly kicking ass at life at least you know it might not feel like it every day but in my eyes you are so thank you yeah it's tough <laughs> how is it like how is juggling being a mom and, and running your own business at the same time it just it makes everything harder it's really hard to like carve out time to do anything and then you're just like constantly interrupted so without like real childcare it's pretty much like impossible unless you're like no it's just impossible so now like i couldn't have childcare at first because of the pandemic now that the vaccines are out we're able to hire someone that i have 3 days a week so that is definitely helpful, but it is like, you get kind of like, you have no personal time either. So is even though the nanny's here and it's supposed to be like my time to work, I'm just like, I want to like <laughs> lay in bed and just scroll on my phone or, you know, so it, it definitely makes it harder to be motivated because you have that like limited, limited time. And you're having to always choose now, like, okay, I have time. Do I clean my house, try to do something for my business, do something for myself, <laughs> like take a shower? Like, what is the thing I get? You know, I only have so many hours and like, I can't do them all. And so it's like this constant choice. And like, I'm always choosing, like, I'm the one, like, I have the opportunity to like clean the kitchen and I have to go like, no, I'm going to work on, you know, this. <laughs> it's definitely different and makes you appreciate the times before when you had more time, but it's also like, it's good. It's good for me because it just makes me, it just puts like a hard limit on like what I'm, how I spend my time. And it makes me like appreciate like family time more. And that's, I needed that. Cause I wasn't without this like boundary, <laughs> hard boundary. I was just going to like work, 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 work. So now I'm like forced, which is good. That's awesome. Yeah. Work-life balance is key, but I totally hear you. I uh, already don't really have time to like shower or clean my kitchen. So I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. It just gets harder. Yes. Yeah. It's like a video game where like, as soon as you reach one level, it's time to go to the next one where everything's way harder. 
I know. I thought like at some point, weren't we going to get like older and wiser or something? And it just feels <laughs> like it just keeps getting like level up, level up. Yes. I'm still waiting to grow up. I can't, I'm like waiting for the moment where I feel grown up enough to have a kid and it is like not coming. So I guess I'm you just going to have to jump. <laughs> you will not feel ready or grown up. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That, that's what I've heard. Word on the street. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'll grow up after I have my kids is hoping we'll grow and up together. If, and you kind of think like once I have my child, like I will immediately be ready or like be grown up or like something but no you still kind of just feel the same only now like everyone looks at you from the outside as if you are like grown up and a mom and all that and you just like don't really feel it at least I don't (laughs) maybe I will at some point but I I don't (laughs) (laughs) yes that's like the word on the street word on the mom street is that how that's how it is so still though so much respect um has have you found any game changer things in your business that just saved you when it came to multitasking delegating any like tools or systems that you built or just like bringing another person in well actually we use like google calendar just like a lot like a shared calendar is how we function and it's I mean, it's not perfect, but we just use like shorthand codes. And I kind of think just like working out with each person, what they like and what works for both of you is the most important thing. Cause there's all these softwares and there's all these different ways to like organize between you and your team. But like for us, a lot of our organizing happens date-based because we're doing client appointments. And so it's like, you know, we just have a shared Google calendar that we update everything in there. And so like my beekeeping assistant, Gary will go do an appointment where he's checking a hive with someone. And then that's been scheduled in the calendar. And so I can see that he's going there. And then I have the whole history of like, every time he's gone to that location and he keeps notes and he uses like emoji codes. (laughs) Like If the colony's healthy, it's like a smiley face. If they're grumpy, it's like an angry emoji. (laughs) And like, so we have like an emoji code and then he'll just put like notes about how that colony is doing. So if I'm like wondering what's going on, I can like go in my phone and check back at the dates like when was he last year and then my email assistant can go in there and she can see that like if anyone's emailing and asking questions about their hive she can look at those notes and answer their questions and then she can schedule their next appointment because she knows when the last one was she can see whether they paid or not because it's we update it in the calendar so it's like we use it for like invoicing and we also just like basic communication. Okay. I so agree with you. I just randomly bonded with a stranger because she saw me put something in my Google calendar and she was like, that's my secret to life. I love Google calendar. I live on my Google calendar. It's like the only way I made this meeting on time today. So yes. Yeah. If I don't, if I can't see my calendar, then I can't like, I can't plan anything. (laughs) 100%. I gotta check it. Gotta check it. <laughs> well, it's been so wonderful having you on the show. Is where can people find you and sign up for your services and buy your book? On my website, girlnextdoorhoney.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at girlnextdoorhoney or on Facebook and Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok too. No one cares, but I'm on there. <laughs> I care. I care. I know. I feel too old for TikTok, but I'm like. Yeah. I have like 3,000 <laughs> followers on TikTok. That's legit. I have like eight. <laughs> 
How fun was that? Thank you so much, Hillary, for coming on the show. I had an absolute blast. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in the taping of a podcast as I did on the show today. I hope you had as much fun listening as we did filming. What was your favorite takeaway? Let me know in the comments below or leave a review for us on iTunes. Remember to smash that like button if you haven't yet. And most importantly, hit that subscribe button because next week's episode is going to be awesome. You are not going to want to miss it. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week and I will see you next time on Money Self Made. We are going to be renaming the show to Invested Success. So if you've been searching for the show, that's what you're going to need to search from from now on is Invested Success.